Welcome back to DC EKG. This is Joe Grogan with Eric Euland. We're talking with Art Kleinschmidt. Art, you gave a little bit of the background on uh, how the opioid crisis began to grow in the United States, driven by a lot of uh, legally prescribed pills. You recently got back from the border. You've gone to the border when you served in the Trump administration. This is your first trip since uh, getting out. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you learned when you were on the border, and where were you? Uh, well, yeah, thanks. I was in Arizona. I uh, just got back last night, late last night from the border. It was a three-day trip. Um, I was outside of a t- – flying to Tucson, so it's outside of a city called Sierra Vista uh, in a border town. Um, so directly across from this town is actually the uh, Soelena cart- Soelena Sinaloa cartel that actually is operating and controlling the border, right, uh, where I was. So that's, wh- that's where I was. In, like, a when you say control, that's – Drugs, material, and people trafficking as well. Right. The cartels make a lot of their money. They're, they're, they're two-pronged sort of big sources of revenue. is human smuggling and drug smuggling. Okay. And the way the border sort of operates and the way the cartels have it, uh, that cartel is sort of the border is like solid, solid gold real estate for them. Uh, and it's partitioned off. They kind of have it geographically sort of figured out where the cartels have each different cartel has their own section of the border that they they can control. So you're down there on the on the uh, border, and the the Sinaloa con- cartel controls the section you were touring. What do you see down there, and what do you learn about how much uh, fentanyl is coming across the border, or what kind of drugs are coming across the border? Uh, most of the drugs coming into the U.S. today is all coming from the uh, southern border. Um, Practically all of them. The, the Mexican cartels right now are probably the, their strongest international cartels uh, on the planet today. So everything that really comes into this country, most of it is coming, a great percentage of it is coming across the southern border or some, some version from Mexico. So where do, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Chinese are partially responsible for that. And what, what's, the, what's China's role in providing uh, Raw materials, right. fentanyl pills, or okay. Fentanyl I, I just product. a quick little sort of historical reference. So I, you know, I used to carry a caseload as as a treatment provider, uh, and it got. If, if I'm carrying a caseload, and when I worked at like inpatient treatment of say five or seven guys, it was getting to be where I would have one or two whose main drug supplier was the internet, the dark web, and then they were getting fentanyl and fentanyl sort of analogs off the dark web, and they would be getting like some nondescript package uh, sent to them. Now that was this would have been like around the 2010s, 29s, something like that, uh, 11, and then uh, that was becoming more and more prevalent. They would get other drugs off the dark web as well. Um, what happened was, even though the federal authorities started cracking down a little bit on the dark web, the problem had sort of metastasized from there, and those drugs were coming from China. So instead of relying on individual packages to a young guy uh, in his apartment or, you know, dormitory or basement somewhere, they actually started increasing their development. So what's happening now and has been happening for a number of years now, they put precursor chemicals on big ships, and then they send that to the... uh, to uh, Mexico, and then at the northern part of Mexico, they take those precursors and they're making fentanyl uh, and fentanyl analogs out of it. And uh, the people making the fentanyl or fentanyl analogs, 
they're associated with are actually members of the cartel, these operations? Yeah, they would have to be. They, you know, you're not going to be able to be an independent contractor. Uh, there. Not for very so, long. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why do I want fentanyl? Why, why not just, so you can't get oxycodone anymore or oxycontin? What's the deal with, with why would anyone choose fentanyl today? It sounds like oxycontin was a perfectly wonderful drug back in the day if I was looking to get high, and now people are on fentanyl. What what it accounts for the change? Uh, fentanyl's stronger. It's more potent, really. Yeah, it's more potent. It gets you actually uh, a more intense uh, euphoric high. And once somebody's getting, I don't want to get into the nature of addiction too much, but once somebody starts building like a tolerance to a per- certain drug, or once they feel a certain blast off from a certain drug, they're actually going to start running with that. And that's really what you start seeing now, uh, especially like in California. I mean, they're seeing a lot, a lot of fentanyl and heroin is uh, sort of subsiding a little bit if you could get sort of like straight uh, fentanyl. Um, and then there's a, and let me just kind of one little thing about the drug. You have your pharmaceutical grade heroin, which is, you would get like from an anesthesiologist and that. But what's kind of happening now and what's been happening now for a while is uh, the chemists like you just referenced in uh, Mexico and they play around with the molecular structure of the drug. And so what they do is they totally increase the potency of heroin. And that 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 molecularly altered uh, fentanyl uh, is stronger, and it's like an analog of fentanyl. So what we're seeing is a whole lot of different sort of analogs being developed that are way stronger than even normal fentanyl. So while I, I don't want to lose focus on the board here, but just have to ask you, you've got this now multiplicity of fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about treatment and how you handle that. But in the meantime, for the border itself, you have the cartel there. They're running drugs across the border. Are they just walking across? Are they smuggling across? How are they actually transiting it? And then inside the United States, how does this get distributed? Okay. Um, They come across various ways. Uh, uh, Yes, a lot of them are muling it right now. Uh, When I was talking to the officials that I was meeting with, a lot of the methamphetamine is being uh, sort of muled across the border. Uh, We're not at the point of uh, ports of entry, right? Uh, So a lot of the meth is coming in there. They're seeing a lot of the bulk of fentanyl coming through the ports of entry. So when you see like really? one of these great big seizures coming into the port of entry and you see one of these multi-million dollar seizures, kind of what I was been told and talking to a lot of the experts is what, what that indicates is there's a high degree of certainty that they can get this sort of chemical across our border. So when you're seeing a great big seizure, know that they're actually really confident that they could send a whole bunch of stuff across that border. And at ports of entry, we're obviously attempting to search or attempting to assess whether or not something like this chemical is coming through in a truck, in a container ship, whatever. How do they have such a high level of confidence now that they're able to... Well, well first of all, they've done it before, through. but you... you uh, I don't think people understand some of the nimbleness and craftiness. They're almost like they're like a Fortune 500 company, so they have spotters up in mountains around uh, the you know that geographical area. So they're constantly monitoring the border, watching the border, and when they send something through and it gets busted, they'll know automatically we could send more through right now because they're occupied. They're all over here, right? And, and, then, and they're also covered. sort of uh, muling it in other areas as well. I'm not saying that's the only spot because mm-hmm. a lot of it's coming across where they don't have. 
have uh, ports of entry. And, you know, you could see them as they're coming across the border. You know, I've seen them like on video cameras and everything else. They're head to toe camouflaged. Uh, the only thing you could see is like their eyes and they have big backpacks on their uh, that they're carrying. So they would come across in a single file line as they're kind of coming across the border mule and the drugs. And then the challenge, it sounds as if there's not a federal response, state, local, how do you interdict this? Um, and where's the breakdown now in a situation where this stuff is just getting mulled across, as you say, almost brazenly? Well, from what I told, uh, local authorities are working really hard. They're stretched. I was in Cochise County, and I was you know, talking to some of them. Uh, the sheriffs, they put on deputy sergeants. Uh, Tim Williams is one of the guys. But um, they're working hard, and they actually have uh, an intricate system of what they're doing for detection down there. Now, this is independent of the federal government. Uh, they're trying to, I don't want to say too much, but they're trying to sort of extrapolate what they're doing. Uh, so if you look at the border wall, and I, you know, I was just at the wall. Mm-hmm. So the drugs are actually, you, you could see exactly where the border wall stops. And that's the spot where they're actually like one of the hot spots. And that one's actually in the mountain, uh, mountainous regions there. So that's one of the hot spots for the actual muling of the drugs. And what I'm told is a lot of them, they're becoming more brazen and more violent and more armed as they're coming up. The, ga- the gangs or the, the mules? The- yeah, because a lot of the mules now, from what I'm, you know, like I'm saying, it's a, Roughly, from what I've told, it's about $6,000 for somebody to pay the cartels to get across the border. The cartel, you, you not, nobody's getting, that's what I'm trying to say, nobody's getting across that border in any geographical location without paying homage to the cartels. They're controlling it. So the going rate to get a person across is about six grand, from what I've told. So let's say you're somebody and you don't even have the money. Well, then they, they'll, what you could do is strap Off drugs on you. Yeah. A mule. And, and mule it, yeah. So a lot of it's like cartel activities as well, and a lot of it is like somebody who didn't have the six grand. So when somebody crosses the border and they're they're attempting to deliver wherever they're supposed to in the United States, you mentioned violence is up, crime is up. What's the sort of impact on local communities as people are marching through? I mean, they're being impact? they're being devastated. I mean, uh, I mean, it's such. I just came from the border, and like the border town there, we looked it up. The median income there is twenty seven thousand uh, dollars, and you know, and then I'm just watching. It's kind of a farce in comparison. You know, with, with Martha's Vineyard, who are saying they don't have the resources, but these people are being. You know, a lot of them are actually have, sometimes got to be risk their lives going on their own land because they come across private property all the time. They're coming across a lot of the ranchers' properties and that sort of a thing, and they're getting very uh, hard to um, dangerous to sort of interact with as well. So they, it's actually pretty devastating to the local communities down there. So right now you mentioned we're at 108,000. I think when President Trump declared an emergency of uh, public health emergency. We are at 67, 68,000 overdoses a year. Now we're at 108. Um, some of that, I, in a previous podcast, we took, spoke with Casey Mulligan. Some of it was driven by COVID shutdown and some of the economics that occurred uh, associated with the, with the lockdowns for an extended period of time and some of the stress and psychological uh, problems that the population was put under. But you're, it sounds like you're saying, I mean, you were down there when um, you were in the Trump administration. Big difference between the border then and now uh, and the amount of, of drugs coming across the border? 
Uh, it's changed. Uh, I, I think a, a lot more is coming across the border, and actually sort of what I was told. Um, and so it's, it's changed remarkably, and that's why you're seeing the great big shipments. And when it, when you see one of uh, these multi-million dollars, it means, like, unfortunately, like a whole bunch is kind of getting through. Uh, so when Trump uh, was controlling the border, you didn't see as many big-time seizures. You just saw uh, more individual type of seizures coming across because they weren't as confident in getting across the border as they are now. Um, and that's with me talking with the former border chief, uh, border patrol chief that was on that was on our trip because that's a very that was a question that was very you know pertinent in my mind the difference in that. Uh, some of the other I, I'm going to agree with what Casey Mulligan said. So if you look at the dynamics, uh, we had right before the COVID lockdown. That's when the Trump administration had a four percent decrease in overdoses. It went up with the COVID lockdowns, and just as you were saying, the psychological suffering, the isolation, uh, the ruining of somebody's livelihood, uh, all, all those things combined. At the same time, the supply of drug supply is coming increased exponentially into this country. So a dangerous mix, a terrible Well, like a perfect mix if you want yeah. to create— uh, overdoses, pressure and health, for yeah. seeking chemical right. relief. Chemical so, the, so what, what I what I say is uh, that we got into this opioid crisis because we greatly increased the supply of opioids into the nation, right? And we removed legally, the legally. yeah, legally. So instead of big pharma, we now have big cartel doing exactly the same thing with even a stronger version of the drug. Is there, though, a base underneath it? Like, they, are they getting addicted on legally prescribed painkillers and then they choose fentanyl? Because fentanyl, like, to me, it seems like if someone would say, hey, you want to try some fentanyl, I'm like, it's killing people. I mean, like, right. who is going out to buy fentanyl? Somebody who's who Well, a lot of like, somebody who's buying fentanyl, uh, there's a little, it's kind of why I'm, one of the reasons why I'm against the fentanyl test strips. Uh, when somebody, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Like somebody saying, oh, that drug is really super strong, it could kill you. People who are, like, addicted are going to be attracted to the super-duper strong drug. So that sort of happens. Now, everybody sort of has their own, a lot of their own progression on how they get to a certain level of their disease of addiction. Uh, the problem is, and what I was telling other people as well, when you have fentanyl and fentanyl uh, sort of a counterfeit pills with fentanyl in them, uh, the experimentation phase is became a lot more dangerous than it ever was, meaning uh, the room for error when you're kind of actually ingesting fentanyl or taking a pill that you don't know that fentanyl's in it becomes a lot more fatalistic than it was in the past. Uh, quickly, before we go to break, a fentanyl test strip is what? Uh well, it's a product that I'm not that you're supposedly to put in your fentanyl or your drug or whatever you bought to see if fentanyl is present in it. Uh, and, with, the, and the Biden administration or the current yeah, the, the New York is to have people armed. Well, that's where you're see, that's where you're seeing a lot of the uh, uh, that bump that poster that you saw in New York City about empowerment and using fentanyl safely. They're putting out a false message that there's a safe way to actually ingest fentanyl. I, there's no safe way to ingest fentanyl, I'm sorry, unless maybe an anesthesiologist in the hospital. But uh, there's no safe way to do it. And then they also talk about, you know, if you're going to use fentanyl, have a buddy with you or use, her and use it in smaller amounts. 
the problem is, uh, there's a number of problems with it, but one thing about it a lot of times, especially with the pharmaceutical grade, the euphoric feeling of fentanyl doesn't last as long as the actual half-life in the body. So when you're not feeling high anymore, you're still under the effects and at risk for respir respiratory sort of shutdown and everything else. So if somebody's using smaller, oh, I just use a small dose, okay, I'm not high, I can do another small dose, you can kill yourself. Right. So that's probably a good uh, place to take a break. When we come back to DC EKG, we want to talk about what you're doing in the private sector okay. uh, to fight addiction and get people healthy. Thank you. Thank you.